What other church has a worship pastor that will bring the, the table to the preacher? Thank you, brother. Is Kurt Gross still in the room? Yes. There you are, brother. Hey, best decision of your life, my friend. Proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> nothing, church. Nothing. Gets a church family more excited than seeing people be baptized. Amen. Nothing. Amen. That's exactly right. So good news, we're going to do it again next week. So we're excited about that. And uh, I believe and praying and invite you to pray along with me that God would continue uh, to do the transformational work in the life of people in this area, in this part of Texas, and beyond. I told the first service, well, she's here. My wife, Heather, right here down front. And not only her, but our two girls as well. They all made it. We're all here. And we are thankful and blessed and uh, so appreciate your prayers, your concerns, your love, your support. It's been wonderful, and I want to thank you from the bottom of our heart. If you have a copy of God's Word in print or digital form, would you take it at this time? Join me in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 20, first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 20. We're going to look at a few verses together in just one moment. Last week, if you were not here, we began a series that we are calling the Here and Now. And what we're learning here and now is what following Christ requires of us and what it means and what it looks like in this moment for this church, for all of us, as we journey together in what God has in store for us. And so last week, we started by understanding that we must accept the invitation of what God desires for us and receive or reject that to be a follower of his. So we're going to build upon that. We're going to extend that invitation further this morning to help us know that once you accept that invitation, that you have to wrestle with your own personal motivations, that you've got to wrestle with your desires because not only does it mean that you follow Christ as you accept that invitation, but that we follow Christ in order to grow and to thrive and to build a New Testament church. So with that understanding, would you stand in honor of reading God's word? Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 17. I'm gonna read through verse 28. The words will be on the screen for you. Let's read aloud together. As Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside by themselves, and on the way, he said to them, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him, and on the third day he will be raised up. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And they said to him, we are able. 
He said to them, my cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, but is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. And let me invite you to find your listening sheet this morning as we journey a little deeper and further through our passage today. Earlier in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 18, we see that Jesus has extended this initial invitation, the opportunity to join the team, to be a, a part of something bigger than themselves, and he actually gives this invitation to two sets of brothers, and one of those is mentioned in our text today, James and John, and he invites them to join his ministry. But by the time that Jesus has now set his final sights, he has set his focus in our text in Matthew 20 now on Jerusalem and the cross, this set of brothers, it appears that James and John have forgotten the call to service. They have forgotten why they became a follower of Jesus in the first place. And isn't it interesting that it, it didn't take long for them to default to a different motivation. You see, our, our default in human nature is to get what we want at whatever price that might have to be paid to get it or whoever I might have to step over to get it. The same happens to all of us. I think sometimes we're hard on James and John that they would ask this request when really, in hindsight, if we stopped to think about it, we would want the same thing, wouldn't we? And so we need to ask ourselves some questions to help us rethink our motivation of why we accepted the invitation in the here and now to follow Jesus in the first place. And so here's the first question to ask yourself. Am I driven by my desires. The heading above, depending on what translation of scripture or what Bible you prefer to read, the heading above this particular section of scripture, beginning in verse 20 through verse 28, read like this in one translation, it is a request for preferred treatment. So we have these two individuals who have mixed up motives. Look at verses 20 and 21 again. The mothers of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus and she brings her boys and bowing down, she makes a request of him. And he, ha he says to her, Jesus, what do you wish? And so she says, well, if you really want to know, I want my boys to sit one on your right and one on your left in your kingdom. She kneels down before Jesus. She bows down before Jesus and she asks him 
for a favor. Now, if you were to go to the next book of the Bible in Mark, Mark's version of this particular story tells us that James and John are, are rather eager to have mommy go to bat for them. Now, think about it for a moment. They're just being smart because who says no to their mother? You're still here, aren't you? Obviously, you didn't say no at some point in your life. And so they're thinking, if I can get what I want and what I desire, rather than me asking Jesus for it, I'll get mom to ask Jesus for it because he won't say no to mom. And she begins with this general request. This is what I desire. This is what I want. I think it's really easy for us to get our motives all mixed up. To be driven by what we want and what we desire. We're not interested at times in what is best for the team. We're not interested in what is best for the greater whole. Just give me what I want. And you want to know what James and John wanted in the, mom, in the moment? It wasn't just for mom to take care of their business and to do their hard things for them. No, they wanted power and position and personal preference. They wanted to be more special than anyone else. They wanted to be the ones closest to Jesus. To be higher in ranking than anyone else in the kingdom. And their mother, who loves them, desired for them to have the very best. And really, when you stop and think in and of itself, moms, dads, grandma, grandpa, that's not a bad request. We all want things better for our children, don't we? We want them to have the things that we didn't have. We desire for them to be more successful than we have ever been. We want to put them in the best place possible to succeed. It is easy to be motivated by what we want. It's easy to be motivated by what we wish and the focus on our generation and what has been and what should always be. It's easy to be motivated and lose sight of why we accepted the invitation to follow Jesus in the first place, to sacrifice self, to take up a cross, to show others what it means that I don't always get what I want, I do what is best for the kingdom of God. And when faced with this mother's mixed up motives. Jesus does what he always does and he asks a question before she even asks her desire. He says, what is it that you want? What do you want from me? Why did you come here? And I think answering those questions as individuals as followers of Christ, answering those questions as a church is critical to where we go from here. What is it that we desire? What is it that we want? And why do we want those things? Who does it serve? Does it just cater to me? Does it just serve me? Or does it serve the next generation? Does it serve the kingdom? Does it expand on what God has given to us? 
Who am I or what am I defending by simply getting what I want? Am I doing this for the right reasons? Am I focused on the right things? Am I asking the right questions? Or have my personal preferences and my desires become all about what I want? It's a tough question. And Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter and says, just put it on the table. What is it that you want? But you see, the second question is just as important and maybe even harder to answer. The question is, am I prepared to pay the price? This is what I want, God. This is what I'm asking of you, but am, am I prepared to pay the price? When Jesus said, can you drink this cup that I'm about to drink, did you notice both of these young men were pretty eager to answer that question? Absolutely we can. No doubt about it. In the Jason International Version of Scripture, which is the Jive Bible, goes on sale soon. They say, no doubt. We got this, Jesus. Bring it on. Fill it up. We'll drink it all. And he says, how big a boy are you? That's in the Jason International Version. Okay, that's not in our text. He says, yeah, we can. I think they were a little too eager in their response. I think they jumped a little too quickly to say, absolutely, we can do that. They didn't even stop to pray about it, did they? But look at what Jesus does. He reinforces what he said and what they said. Verse 23 all you will indeed drink from my cup. You will most certainly drink this cup. But you see, they wanted a cup of glory and what they would drink is a cup of grief, sorrow and struggle and difficulty. There will be a price to pay, church, to get what you want. There will be a price to pay to be a follower of Jesus. And scripture challenges us, count the cost. Add it up. Are you truly able to drink this cup? You know the story in the rich young ruler when he wants to follow Jesus and he says, what must I do to follow you? And Jesus says, you go and you sell all your possessions and you come follow me. But you see, the rich young ruler wasn't willing to pay the price. In the story of the feeding of 5,000, we love that story, right? Jesus does an incredible work with a happy meal and he feeds everybody there and they all get a toy when they leave. And so the next day they come back and they want another happy meal and a Big Mac and french fries And they want God to use his credit card and magnify another meal for them. And one of the saddest verses in scripture is when Jesus says, unless you can eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot and you are not fit for the kingdom of God. And it says, and many turned and followed him no more. They weren't willing to pay the price to get what they want, which is eternal life. Will you pay the price? While we don't always know and we don't get an itinerary and it doesn't come to us in advance of what life is going to throw at us, 
and what we will endure and the challenges we will face, we know that if we are serious about following Jesus and serving him wholeheartedly and being more like him, then challenges and hurdles and difficulties will happen. It's not my word. You don't have to take what I'm telling you for truth. You take the word of God. Philippians chapter 1 verse 29. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him but also to do what? Suffer for him. James would not suffer long. He would be the first of the 12 disciples to be killed, to be martyred. Acts chapter 12 tells us that story. John, however, would, would take a little longer to drink his cup. He lived to about the age of 95 years old, but all throughout his life it was filled with difficulty and calamity and struggle, culminating in his banishment to the island of Patmos. And John would write these words in Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Do you, do you see the change in tone from the request of mom for her boys to the writing of John in Revelation, he's telling us, I drank the cup of suffering. I remember that day and that request and our hope fixed on the position that we would gain in the kingdom and Jesus was right. My cup was full. To drink the cup though, church, is not only just a reference to suffering and struggle and, and difficulty, but it refers to remaining faithful to the end. This phrase is understood that we would be willing to drain the cup dry, to drink every drop, just like I do with every cup of coffee. Don't ever let it get cold. And while you can't beat kingdom service, you have to understand that it's not always going to be easy. I think we've done a disservice in our culture, in our society, to the current and next generation if we have taught them in some way that following Jesus promises them a trouble-free life. I think we've hurt them. We've hindered them. We have to be truthful and honest and recognizing that life is going to be tough. And you make a choice to pay the price or not. Are you willing to pay that price? You have to answer that question for yourself. Even though Andrew and Peter and James and John, they, they didn't fully understand what it meant to follow Jesus when they followed Jesus for the first time. They didn't have a full comprehension and a theology degree of following Jesus. They just set out to follow him and they made mistakes along the way and Jesus would call a sidebar meeting and he'd say, guys, come over here, I gotta, I gotta help you with this. 
It's not about getting what you want. He says it's about being a servant. The age of 12 years old, when I gave my life to Christ in West Texas, I realized that you don't just get born into a family of God. You choose that family. You choose to follow him. I thought because mom and dad were Christians and there's a long line, a legacy of ministers in my family, grandparents, that I was just fortunate enough to be born into a family that loved God and loved the church and had fully invested themselves in it. And, and I realized at the age of 12 that this whole following Christ is not tribal. <laughs> it's personal. It's intimate. And I had to answer the question, Jason, are you willing to pay the price? If you really want to follow me, then you got to drink the cup. And so to be like Jesus means that I have to continue to learn and to grow and to develop and to change, to take risks, to try new things. Because when I stop learning, I stop growing. And man, when you stop growing as a, a Christian and a believer, and you're missing out on some of the greatest lessons that life could ever teach us. Growing requires changing, and we are not guaranteed a long life. The Bible tells us that we are but a mist, just a vapor in our time on planet earth. We're not promised a life of comfort when we commit to follow Jesus. And Jesus would tell us this from his own word, John chapter 16. I said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, tribulation, strife, and struggle. But take heart, he says, I've overcome the world. If you want peace, if you want to experience that life in Christ, you learn to be like him. Even in the midst of all of the pain and the struggles and issues that you face. James and Andrew are believed to have been put to death for their faith. Peter was an old man when he was crucified upside down. But it was the foundation of their faith in the early years that was so pivotal and critical to their forming a relationship with a God who loved them and a God that they began to understand would equip them for all of what would be thrown at them. And so they submit themselves to be servants, which means we have to answer the last question. Am I focused on selfishness or servanthood? Do I simply receive the invitation, accept the invitation from Jesus to get what I want from him, driven by my desire that he would give me everything that I want, humanly speaking? Have I been able to pay the price or have I tried to bargain with God for a cheaper deal? We're not only challenged to know Jesus, 
and to expect some difficulties, but we are challenged to put others ahead of ourselves. He challenges us to look for ways to serve others rather than just expect and show up to be served. Not my words. In case you were wondering, it's Jesus' words. He offers us the perfect role model in himself. Verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. While I have my own personal preferences, I, I have my own way of doing things, right? In the certain way that I want things done or return to a former way. I sacrifice all those things to remember that it's about being a servant above all. Jesus would leave his throne in order to teach us and show us how to serve. Philippians chapter two do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He served the needs of others and therefore he demonstrated the ultimate act of servanthood. He gave his life as a payment and a ransom for many. Paid for the sins of you and me so that we could experience true everlasting freedom. But you have to answer the questions of what your motivation is. I think selfishness, honestly, is something we all struggle with. Different ways, a variety of reasons, but all of us struggle in some ways. There's a guy named Steve Farr, and he said these words about selfishness. He says, we're all selfish. God chooses sometimes to deal with our selfishness by giving us someone to care for who is infinitely more selfish than we are. <laughs> and he says, the way that God deals with my own selfishness is to give me someone to serve who has zero interest in serving me back. And then he says this, he says, each of my kids resemble me in some way. One day you'll get to meet my father. I'm also uh, often, let me say it that way, often I'm told that I look like him, act like him, mannerisms and those things. Maybe you have a child in your family is the same. But Steve says, I'm not talking about my children resembling me in the way that they look. He says, no, I mean that they are as selfish as I am. <laughs> And so he says that means somebody in the family is going to have to grow up and that somebody is me. He was the one who got nominated in his family to be the servant. Church, we've all been nominated for the primary role in the kingdom. 
to serve people. That is our motivation. That is our focus. And we are driven by the desires that he gives to us. And so the invitation this morning, the solution to our selfishness is returning to the calling of why we follow Jesus to begin with. And that is to be servants. Can you elevate his will over your wants? Let's pray this morning. Father, we are mindful of the role that we have been assigned as one who claims to be a follower of Jesus. And it is not a crown of jewels. It is not a place on the right or left of you in your kingdom. It is coming down off of our high horse and walking behind you in the footsteps of the dust. Doing sometimes the menial things, the difficult things, the hidden things. And nothing out of selfish ambition. But God, because that is who we are in Christ. And so, Father, forgive me when I have been driven by what I want. And when I've gotten mad when I didn't get it. Forgive me, God, when I have tried to bargain for a cheaper deal and didn't want to pay the price that's required to be a servant. And God, forgive me when my selfishness rears its ugly head, when I default to my human nature. God, remind us that we are servants above all things. And accepting this invitation to follow you means taking up a cross and dragging it behind you to wherever you call us to go, doing whatever you ask us to do. And so we surrender once again to that calling. We thank you for the reminder of what it means to follow you. I pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Maybe you're here today and you would say, I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to know more about this invitation and this role of a servant. We welcome you today. There will be ministers down front today that would receive you, answer questions and pray for you and help you. You can also go to our welcome center. Maybe you've made that decision to, before, but you've yet to take the first step of obedience and be baptized and follow in what Kurt's example has given to us today challenge you to make that next step Michael said earlier in our service best church in this area you're sitting in and if you've been looking for a church home a place where you can be you a place where we're learning and we're challenging and growing together this is your place we welcome you as a part of our church family all of us have a step to take we all have a decision to make I just pray that you would be obedient to the prompting of the Spirit in your life this morning. Let's stand. You come. Our ministers are here to receive you this morning.